I guess I've been so hungry for so long. The same thirst I had when I was 18, I still have at 41. And so I even tell my young artists, whether I'm a label or not, I said, y'all got to keep up with me. Because I said, I'm hungry still. And I work extremely hard. <laughs> so I said, good luck. You know what I mean? But it's a challenge to them of, I want you got to build a certain work ethic to be in this game, man. It's not for everybody. Music is probably... And I can say this, the riskiest job you could take, because there's no blueprint for this. Every artist's blueprint is different. You're not going to sit down in front of no manager or boss and you're going to say, yeah, there are certain things you promote yourself, but he's not going to say, hey, you got to do X, X, and X, and this will put you here. This will get you a promotion. This will make you a star. They're going to say, we can try these things and hope that you blow. <laughs> we'll try it and hope that you succeed. But everybody's journey in music is so different, man. And... The worst you can do and is a detriment to yourself is when you try to copy someone else's journey or way of making it. You can pull the gems and pieces that inspire you or give you advice, but it should never be a situation where you're like, let me just follow the path that I saw him do. That got him there. That's going to get me there. Mm -hmm. It will not get you there. Trust me. You're going to be asking yourself every day. What happened? What happened? What happened? And I'm going to say you weren't yourself. You was trying to be someone else. You was trying to follow the path that someone else took. I had to come to the realization of why I did music. Like I'm sure a lot of us, I did music in the beginning because I just loved it. But as I did it more, I saw music can impact people. It can motivate people, it can encourage people, it can push them to seek purpose in their life, all through the words you put on wax. And when I really was like, that's the power that you have as a musician, I wanted to more make music that, yeah, you can bob and bump to it, but it needs to intellectually stimulate your mind at the same time. Welcome, everybody, to the Taking Notes Podcast. Okay. Wait, we switched off. You you whispered and I spoke. I whispered and you spoke. That's cute. (laughs) So before we get into our guest for today, today's episode is brought to you by you, you future Patreon supporter. (laughs) So you can go to patreon.com backslash faking notes or just follow the link in the description if you're liking what we're doing here, we got discords, exclusives, live streams, feet pics. What? Wait. <laughs> did, did you oh, that list? was my, my bad. I put I put that. This, I put the feet. This is my grocery shopping list. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, but 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 really, guys, the number one thing we uh, love for you to do is just to recommend the show. We love hearing back from you, and we're trying to grow this family. Speaking of our faking fam, though grows by one more person today y'all our next guest today is hip-hop artist label owner and philanthropist wordsmith he grew up in a military family so he hopped around the world he's seen it all and has such a great global perspective and then finally settled down and has been fully embraced by baltimore he's just a huge figure in the community even lead him to be an artistic partner with the baltimore symphony orchestra partnerships also include wwe espn NFL, and so many others, uh, as well as music. He's written music that's been included in several Netflix shows, Russian Doll and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, to name a few. Wordsmith is someone who just, he just gets the music business, right, Trevor? Like, just sitting down with him for an hour and a half, you realize that this man has educated himself on the machinations of this incredible beast, and he drops so much knowledge in this conversation. Through listening, you'll realize he's like 
one of us. He's you one know of what us. I mean? <laughs> like he, he, the accolades that he obtains in his life, they don't really mean much when he juxtaposes that to the responsibility of being a father or or being a philanthropist and an educator. And his latest project, he's starting a music school in Baltimore. It's He's like in the seed A. <laughs> if you're talking about a business, he's in the seed A phase and really needs some help is to provide 21st century music education to underprivileged kids in, in Baltimore. So if you're interested in um, him, how can we do that, Trevor? So just go to risewithapurpose.com. There's also going to be a link in the description. When we asked him what to promote, he didn't mention his music or streams or check out this video. This is where he pointed us to. So that really speaks to who he is as a person. And it's a great conversation. There's so much to learn. Stick around till the end when he interviews us. Please welcome our next guest. <laughs> Wordsmith. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't mind us. We're going to get started very, very shortly. We're going to pull the curtains on life real quick. And we're going to start this show. Wordsmith. Welcome to the Fakey Notes Podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I actually caught some of you guys' episodes um, on IGs where I started seeing some of you guys' stuff. And so that was a reason that my representative, which is actually my brother, he actually reached out that. you know, on behalf <laughs> of me. Yeah, because as an artist, I can reach out sometimes, but also on, just on the business tip and being a professional, man, it's good to have someone that knows you, is passionate about you and what you're doing and can represent you the right way. And my brother's that. So I said, man, please holler at these guys. I would love to be on this show. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for coming uh, through, man. Thanks for coming through. Oh, it's so good to have you. And I love that about like the family representative. I've definitely thought about that as well. And it really does help having someone else do that. Keep that separation. Definitely when it comes to tax and other stuff like negotiations, it's so much easier to be harder make a stand when it's not your dollar on the line <laughs> well you gotta pick the right family member i would say uh, because all family's not gonna, you know, not gonna be good for your situation i'm just keeping it on no, my brother's reliable so i knew that so if he wasn't reliable believe me i'd have skipped right over my brother and kept it moving he yeah. knows it so nah, he's about it so the right oh and as far as like business anything with money Nah, I'm good on that. I'm going to pick some outside people that don't aren't family members when it comes to that money side, too. Can you talk about that a little bit, man? Because I've personally, I'm going to do everything myself for the time being. And it hits different when you decide to advocate for yourself, decide to not accept certain terms that people like to put up at the last moment. And people end up leaving negotiations, sometimes making you feel you're being unreasonable. When they're the ones that are trying to extract, uh, I'm wondering, did you have a moment where you realized, yo, let me actually level up and, and delegate this aspect of the business? Did you have a moment? Oh, uh, man, it's tough for me because between my label and my nonprofit, and then I work with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, I'm very busy and my hands are tied up a lot. So it's very hard to find good people that, one, are going to be passionate about each of those three things. You know what I mean? 
And so believe me, my biggest thing as an artist is giving opportunities for others. So I hire a lot of musicians, you know, that mm. tour with me, do different events with me. I'm big on that. I, I really honestly just don't do music for myself. It's more about the community engagement, helping the youth be productive members of society. So really it's about helping others. You know what I mean? So with me, I want to be able to control the music I put out, but also give people opportunities to have their freedom of speech on the mic as well. That's important. And support them in that mission. I'm at a point now where I've done enough in my career. I have enough money that comes on a regular basis that I can actually sign artists and actually support them. Not to say, hey, I signed this person. And they're just sitting mm. around doing the same stuff they were doing prior to me saying, hey, I signed this person. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there has to be a difference, especially when you're independent. If you sign someone, you need to have the resources to promote them properly so their, their career can grow, which in turn helps your label grow. And so I recently, at the top of this year, signed five artists, and three of them aren't even from America. One's from Tunisia, one's from a group, a rock band from Ukraine, and then one's <laughs> from Haiti. So, wow. And a lot of these people I've met during my journeys and travels. So it's really, really trying to help those I see are talented that really don't have the economy we have here in America. They really have nowhere to go in Ukraine and mm -hmm. places like Haiti. Very few make it out and can do music. Mm hmm. Unless they buy mm. some Bitcoin, but uh, that's a that's a discussion. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly. a discussion for another time. Thank you. We so are not offering financial advice. No, yeah, that's true. Just, 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 that was a joke. Uh, I think this is a nice segue. You've gone global, and I think a lot of that also might stem from the, my interest in your background. So, being born in Germany. And when I saw that, I assumed military family, like on the base. And I was just curious if you could explain your journey, because of course there's that trope when you're in a military family, you're moving around a lot. There's that sense of attachment to home. And yet you've clearly found it. Like you're so ingrained in Baltimore. You, you've got nonprofits, the, the BSO, record labels, such strong attachment to Baltimore, but yet growing up, hopping around childhood. Can you take us on that journey from Germany to Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. My brother and I were both born in Germany, and it's just because my pops happened to be stationed there at the time. And so we both got dual citizenship because of that. So wow. I can go to Germany and here, yeah, we had that for life. Bro, that's lit. <laughs> Angela Merkel, I fuck yeah. with her, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tell her I said oh, hi. Man. <laughs> hey, I don't even know the shorty like that. You know what I mean? But hey, <laughs> but hey man, I wish I did. She'd be someone cool to sit down and have some good talks with, especially on the political side. But when I was young, man, to be honest, I was an angry kid because we moved around a lot and I would lose friends constantly. Like we would move and I would say, oh, I'll talk to them again. And I would never talk or see those friends again. Mm. And so I was somewhat angry because I didn't realize all the culture I was getting until I got older. And I was like, whoa. I would meet friends and they go, man, I ain't never even traveled out the state, especially here in Baltimore City. I got friends that had never even been out the state until I said, yo, I'm about to go to Lithuania. Why don't you come with me on this tour and see a part of the world? <laughs> I mean, just being honest, I mean, mm -hmm, I had mm -hmm. one guy that he didn't even play an instrument. He was more my videographer. And just to get him to come on the tour, he learned how to play a uh, drum machine a little bit. Just so he could take part in some of the shows and I could get him the funds to come because they weren't trying to pay for just a videographer to come. I mean, I really took great lengths to try to show people the world, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of it is just, I got it ingrained in me growing up, moving around every two years. I've lived in seven different states growing up, lived in Germany twice. So I don't have a racist bone in my body. I had to adapt so much growing up. 
just the different surroundings, having to leave schools in the middle of the school year sometimes. The only time in my, I would say my life where I got to finish school in full was when I got to high school and I only got to do that because my parents sacrificed for me. Mm Because when I was going into my senior year, we got stationed in New York and this is the third time we was being stationed in New York. And my parents sacrificed hard for me. They both said, we're just gonna live apart. I stayed with my mother in Virginia. My dad moved to New York and was living with his parents and they split apart for a whole year just so I could stay in one place for the first time in my life and have a better opportunity to play college football. And I was able to get a scholarship. And so their sacrifice wasn't in vain. But I adapted a lot growing up, but it, it's made me a lot who I am today and why I do so much work, not just here in uh, my city of Baltimore, which is home to me. I've been here since 1998. I try to do so much in other countries that don't have much, where they got underserved youth. They have musicians, aspiring musicians that, like I said, have no resources or economy to even sort, support being a musician. I went places and performed in places in the middle of nowhere, especially in Africa. I've been to Cote d'Ivoire, Namibia, Angola. I have great friends out there, but I've also seen poverty at a level that it's hard to explain. But worst poverty that you would ever see here in America, and that's real. Mm-hmm. And so the type of poverty to say, how can anybody live like this on this earth? How can we allow anybody to live like this on this earth where your house is pretty much built off of whatever you can find off the land? Not any concrete structure, not anybody coming in with any engineering skill, but literally I found this piece of cardboard. I found this piece of sheet metal that may have broke off from something else a month ago. And this is going to be my door now, or this is going to be a piece of my house. Seeing kids that they're not worrying about what sport am I playing or what college am I going to? They're saying, am I going to get a new pair of pants this week? Am I going to get a new shirt this week? Am I going to eat for the first time in three or four days? So I remember coming back to America, man, it's it's traumatic in some ways to see. I don't know if that's the word, but to see the way we live, we really are privileged here. And I just encourage anybody, go see the world. You need it for your perspective. Don't just live in your bubble and only go to the news and say, oh, man, it's tough over there. The news and the media showing me that you need to be there in the element sometimes. It does so much to your mind state and it helps you become a better human being when you come back to the States and you realize, you know what? There's so much more I could be doing here. Wow. That's incredible. Wordsmith. I, uh, go ahead, Trevor. No, was, it's okay. No. <laughs> it's okay. Go. <laughs> I, re- I remember it just that's something Obama always pointed to growing up. Like a mental shift was his time spent in Indonesia, I believe, witnessing that, living, living there and saying, oh, wait, I can at least envision a better world. And just like the stark contrast of what we see here in the States how lucky we are <laughs> of like comparatively speaking or really across across the board it's funny you mentioned indonesia and wordsmith i wanted to just piggyback and just say thank you for sharing that perspective of traveling the world it really does change so much when i was playing on ships a lot of the crew was from indonesia and the philippines and it's so interesting seeing coronavirus like gutting that industry they're having to scrap entire ships because cruise ships have not been able to go. It's good for the environment, yes, but that was the only way a lot of these people made a living because they would spend nine to 12 months in a contract on a ship working every single day and sending the majority of that money back home to support their families. 
And so what you said about traveling the world and seeing economies that can't sustain music, being on the ship and seeing the, the Philippine workers, they would have one or two talent shows, like one talent show per cruise, and they would be so gifted, so, so incredible artists. But going back home, there's nothing, they, they can't work as a musician. So do you see ways that we as artists can build economies outside of performances? Is that something that you've thought about or something you're working on right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing I try to teach a lot of artists, especially new artists, is to really try to think about writing music on the licensing tip. Thinking more of writing music for TV, films, and games, because that's your long-term money as an independent artist. That was something that, honestly, when I kicked off my career, I didn't say, oh, I want to be on the radio and TV. I said, all right, very few people get to do that. It's like making it to the NFL or the NBA. Very few people become superstars. I was realistic about it. I feel I'm talented, <laughs> but it's not always your talent. It's who discovers you, who gives you an opportunity. Are you in the right place at the right time? All those factors play a part. And so I said, okay, what if none of those things happen to me? Where does that leave me? Most artists don't think about that. They just go, I'm going to make it. Yes, you're going to make it, but how do you define making it? I defined it as once I can take care of my family, I'm good. I made it. I don't need no one to tell me nothing else. When I'm paying for that food on the table from music income, when I'm buying clothes for my kids from music income, when I take them on a vacation and it's music income, I made it. That is a separate mm. me from any superstar. I'm doing the same thing that a big celebrity is doing. I'm just not on the same platform or plateau that they're on. That's the only difference. Honest to God on it. And so I really try to teach music licensing because that's what put me in this position, man, to be able to do a lot of the traveling, sign other artists, really expand my business, along with winning some grants as well. I'm heavy on the grant side of writing grants and putting proposals out to win money. But with music licensing, you can place one record on a TV show and you get paid for that the rest of your life. You can get place one theme song in a film and you get paid for that the rest of your life. OK, and sometimes depending on what type of deals you do, you can get paid up front. Then you make your back end royalties on top of that. And so I really push like even any of the artists I've signed, I've told them every record that is complete and finished before we even release it. It's being sent to my licensing company to see if we can get it placed first, because that's also mm. free promotion. You get a record on a show or something. Hey, before bro, it's even released. Yeah, yeah. Boom. there you go. So where it almost forces you to put the record out. Yo, it's being heard. People are asking for it off of this show or this movie. Great time to drop it. And we ain't got to put as much promotional dollars out now because we got this free promotion from this movie and we made bread off of it. Mm -hmm. So I would say music licensing. If you're independent, that's your key. When you're a major label artist, they're going to put a million plus behind you. But I encourage you, you still got to learn the industry in case you get dropped one day. <laughs> because we see it all the time. Major artists get dropped and they disappear because they don't know the industry. They don't know how to survive. Us, we know how to survive. That's what we got to do every day. Hey, Benita, hey, Benita. Wash away the haters and all the non-believers. Loving all the women in the world who are leaders. Treat them like a boss and we call that Benita. Hey Maria, hey Maria, wash away the haters and all the non-believers, loving all we the We both have so many questions particularly to this because we know untapped market and yet there's so much money in that. Like where do we find all of these songs? Either it's all over TikTok or it's in that show we like and that's licensing and it's this weird thing that like no one necessarily thinks about until you're in it. It's, Aha, 
how do most of our media, it's and music, it's often first triggered through some other form of entertainment like film. And so you've had a lot of success. I'm glad you drove uh, right into this. So for both of, for both Drew and I, we both have two shows we loved that have recently featured your music. So Drew, I'm going to be selfish and start with mine. Get it, bro. Get it. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. Russian Doll. You had a track in Russian Doll. So it's an episode two of it's about nine minutes in and it really fits the scene. I'm really curious how you really go through the process of you've got a track. How does it wind up on a Netflix show? How does that work? Sure. Several different ways. Sometimes I get, I'll get hit up from my agent from one of my licensing company and I'll have maybe two to three days to write a full song or <laughs> to write a jingle. You really have to, I would say in the licensing field, if you want to be, I would say tops in and really make good money, you got to be a quick songwriter and quality on top of that. Not just write music quick, but it has to be quality. You got to be able to produce. And that's what I've been able to show. So I get a lot of work. So either I'm writing something from scratch where they'll say, hey, this is the scene or they'll show it to me and I can write to it. Or sometimes they'll say, hey, do you have something that fits this? All right, boom. Or they'll have my music already, my catalog, and they'll pitch it already for me. The thing is, there's different levels of music licensing, just like being signed to a major label. And this is what people don't know. Just like you can go on, and I'm not downgrading any of this at all. Just like you can go on a distribution site like DistroKid or CD Baby, and you can put your stuff on there. But then you have the next level where you have to actually get a distribution deal where you have to sign a contract, a la like Ingrus, who I have a deal with, mm-hmm. United Masters, companies like this, Sony Red, Orchid, companies like this where they can add promotional value to your distribution as well. Music license is the same way. There's a bunch of companies where you can just sign up, put your music up, and you hope that someone hears it by chance. But then you have the bigger companies where this is what they do every day. They're the ones who know when a film is in production and it may not even come out for two years. Or they know when a new TV show is in production and it's not coming out for eight months. What people don't know is they're already capturing all the music. It's not a last minute thing. This stuff is done a year in advance, months in advance for the show is even put to the public. And so... It's done in those three different ways. And I just say you have to be sharp as a songwriter to really be, I would say, survive in this industry because you got to think about it like this. There's so many shows and movies made all the time and they want so much music all the time. It's so disposable, like trash. And so you have to be able to be like, also not the type to have your feelings hurt because you might write a whole song and they'd be like, we're not going to use it. (laughs) You got to just accept that and be like, I know that feeling. Yeah. (laughs) And you got to just be like, okay, that's the business. I'm not going to get everything. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get everything. But I, with me, I always try to write my music in a fashion, especially if I don't have to title it after a show that I can regurgitate it and still release it and put it out. Be like, all right, I wrote it for this show, but you'll never know. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let me put this out. Let me put this out now. Thanks. So I find ways to still flip stuff and everything. But those are the three formats I do. Write music quickly. I got good producers in house that understand the business. When I come to them and say, hey, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking for to write this particular jingle or so forth. You got to have that good producers in house too that can work and write and make production quick that fits what you need. And so within a two to three day, I would say length of time, a full song is done. Mix uh, mastering process as well. I just got a really good team around me and I had to build that. It wasn't something that came right away. I had to build a good team that was down for the cause and realize, hey, we're not going to get every gig, but we're going to get a lot of them. I love that. Mm. Mm. 
do you closely like on the the specific nitty gritty of having something within a show? Do, do you directly work with the music supervisor, or like in this case, it was a uh, Brene Rose for Russian Doll, or or is that something like the company does? I'm curious. Like the mo- once the moment hits, it's like, hey, we want your track. So for this track, uh, get what you love. For instance, it's in the they go into the club and she's going downstairs, and so when she goes down into the basement, we're just hearing the production in the background. It's ducked just as if. We were listening to the music in a basement, which is awesome. Like how much control input or is it like, hooray, you picked my music, do what you need to do. <laughs> for that particular placement, that was my licensing company, APM. I give all props to them for that. They have done some great work with my music with Netflix because the first, I would say big one they got me in was um, a breakable Kimmy Schmidt, which was one of Netflix's early on big shows. And I had a record in there called Never Be The Same that got placed in that. And with those, I don't have a lot of control, unfortunately. It's more, all right, this is what they're looking for. Boom, I have it or let me write it. Whereas, for example, with ESPN, I have a direct business relationship with them through my label that I built over the years. So I literally write records and I go straight to the music director, Kevin Wilson, and I say, hey, check this out. Is this something you can use? Or mm-hmm. honestly, it's at the level now when I complete a full album, I'll be like, hey, listen to the whole album. And he'll be like, I'll take this, 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 and this. There's no guarantee. List. <laughs> yeah, <grocery laughs> list. There's no guarantee I'm going to get a placement, but he can go, this would be good on this UFC show, or this would be good on first take, or let me try to pitch this for this 3030 special. I've had a couple of my songs been on some of the 3030 specials on ESPN. And so that one. It's more direct where I know exactly in real time what's going on, where when it's through a big licensing company, they're just pretty much hustling is why I look at it, Got making it. deals happen. And then afterwards, I get the money and the placement. That's amazing. But it's a team. And it's it's a team that you cultivate over time after showing that you are not only capable of your own production, that you're not only capable of fast, quality songwriting, but it's after you have really exhibited it. in, And so it's like, uh, I'm curious, what was your first big win for you in your mind? Because oftentimes there are moments in one's career where you do one thing for the first time and then your career moves and shifts in a different way profoundly. Can you uh, share one of those with us? Oh, man. It's... Hmm. Man, it's a loaded question right here, Drew. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I, that's my specialty. That's my specialty, man. I'm trying to get the yeah, gems tough, of man. the process. Okay. I would say, man, when I won my first contract to do um, some shows overseas, because it's not easy to get overseas, especially to certain countries, just because there's certain countries you can't even go to if you don't have certain vaccines like yellow fever or or typhoid and different things like this. And just being accepted into their country, you have to have a reason to go into some countries. And I don't think, again, this is people don't think about it a lot. You can't just go everywhere all the time. And uh, so I think when I won my first contract and I was able to hire five musicians to bring with me. And mm-hmm. they was able to have the experience with me because one, I got the experience of, all right, I'm going on this big tour. I'm going to be going for a whole month, but not am I just having this great experience. I was able to hire people that's going to have this great experience as well. Mm-hmm. My thing mm. too is my career has been very tough. I'm 41 right now. And it's weird because I'm in the midst of peaking at in the forties in my career where I have so much going on and I'm so busy. And I was like, dang, I wonder all this going on at 20. You know what I mean? When I was younger <laughs> and it wasn't popping, it wasn't popping. But I still get that 
I guess that Christmas feeling the way I do with my kids where I get to relive Christmas with my kids. I get to do that when I hire musicians because I go, man, this kid's 19 and he's out here in Azerbaijan with me. I was nowhere close to being out here at 19. You know what I mean? And so I get the best of both worlds. I get to get it, but then I can go, man, this young kid is experiencing what I didn't even get to. But my hard work got me in a position where I could provide that opportunity for him and he can run Mm -hmm. with it. You know what I mean? So when that happened, one, I was like, I can do this. And this was back in 2016. And since then, I've been to 11 different countries. And I've also, since wow. the pandemic hit, I've done four virtual tours that I broadcasted out of professional studios. So nothing has slowed down to stop for me. Wow. Mm. Wow. And that's relatively recently, too. So it's, it's interesting how Very things recent. accelerate. I graduated from Juilliard in 2016. So it's really interesting okay. how like we're congrats, so I, I, thank you, bro, for real. And and I think like that's really cool. When I graduated, like that was a big tectonic shift in my life. So it's interesting to see how we both were having tectonic shifts in our lives at the time. And I love how you said that you were providing the opportunity for other people so that maybe they leg up and pay it forward in the future and it compounds. I love that. You summed it up, Drew. That's the thing. I don't, if I can help someone out had the struggles I had, meet some of the shocks I've asked, bro, I've lost so much money early in my career, trusting people, giving mm. people $1,000 here, $500 here, disappear, or never do the work they claim they can do. I can honestly say there's more unfortunate bad people in this industry that look at the music industry as a way to make quick money. Let me screw this artist. Let me charge this artist XX amount of money that really don't cost this much. And I tell people the same way you would do in school. You got to study this industry. You got to know this industry. Don't just jump in it because you see all the glitz and glamour. That stuff will go away one day. Trust me. And it'll just be you. And you got to know how to operate and stay alive and stay relevant. Whether that's you putting music out or putting other people music out, you got to be relevant and understand this business. So I keep my on the prize, man. I, I've never become a huge star. I'm not even today. I have great support base. I can go to a lot of places, put on shows. When I drop music, people support me. But I'm not a big celebrity. But I've survived through the years because I know this business. Cut and dry. I know how to survive in this business. It's such a long-term game. And I think it's because some of the people just pop through and they're 19 and they're living their best life and they're going on all the, the night shows. But if you see people who've survived in it, it's an overnight success, but the night is 20 years long or something like that. Uh, and, and, and like what you've said, it's incredible that you are successful. You're feeding your family with music money. You're going on the journey, seeing the world and bringing people along with you with that music money. And that's something as a kind of a North Star for all of us to be able is, – isn't that really what success should feel like for all of us? Wait, I can do what I love. I can help people I love. I can bring new people into this world and have them see the world. I just think that's like absolutely incredible. And one of the things that, of course, really excited us about having you on the Faking Notes podcast, you fit right in. Like we see the resume. You're all over the place. You're doing all this cool stuff that helps people, the U.S. government and then the Baltimore Symphony, but nonprofits helping people and producing things and licensing. And by having this kind of total package... It seems to have served you well during a pandemic when everything else is shut down or while you're setting up all these labels to be be able to have a team. So while 
none of our names are like plastered all over billboards all over the place. I definitely say you've really achieved the dream in a sense. Does it feel like that? Or is it always a work in progress? Do you ever get to look back and say, yes, you know what? I have done something great. Um, it took me a long time. I had more people that would get at me and be like, man, you got to enjoy some of the successes that you have. But I'm, I guess I've been so hungry for so long. The same thirst I had when I was 18, I still have at 41. And so I even tell my young artists, whether I'm a label or not, I said, y'all got to keep up with me because I said, I'm hungry still and I work extremely hard. So I said, <laughs> good luck. You know what I mean? But it's a challenge to them of I want you got to build a certain work ethic to be in this game. man. it's not for everybody. Music is probably, and I can say this, the riskiest job you could take because there's no blueprint for this. Every artist's blueprint is different. You're not going to sit down in front of no manager or boss and you're going to say, yeah, there are certain things you can promote yourself, but he's not going to say, hey, you got to do X, X, and X, and this will put you here. This will get you a promotion. This will make you a star. They're going to say, we can try these things and hope that you blow. <laughs> we'll try it and hope that you succeed, but everybody's journey in music is so different, man. And the worst you can do and is a detriment to yourself is when you try to copy someone else's journey or way of making it. You can pull the gems and pieces that inspire you or give you advice, but it should never be a situation where you're like, let me just follow the path that I saw him do. That got him there. That's going to get me there. Mm -hmm. It will not get you there. Trust me. You're going to be asking yourself every day. What happened? What happened? What happened? And I'm going to say you weren't yourself. You was trying to be someone else. You was trying to follow the path that someone else took. I had to come to the realization of why I did music. Like I'm sure a lot of us, I did music in the beginning because I just loved it. But as I did it more, I saw music can impact people. It can motivate people. It can encourage people. It can push them to seek purpose in their life all through the words you put on wax. And when I really was like, that's a power that you have as a musician I wanted to more make music that, yeah, you can bob and bump to it, but it needs to intellectually stimulate your mind at the same time. So I'll make music to where if you don't care what I'm saying, you can still bump it into clubs. You can play it in your car, the bass hit. But if you're that deep thinker, that lyricist, it's early in the morning or you just you feeling nice, you didn't lit up and you sit back, you can listen to my lyrics and be like, yo, I can relate to what he just said. I can dig what he just said. I've been through that or I can just... This dude sounds like someone I could chill on the couch and just kick it with and talk to. And so I try to deliver that music, my music that way is both sides bump to it, but also it's got to attack that mind up there and make you think. So I try to get both. I love that, man. I, I, I love the way you think what matters, because what the things you've talked about is like taking care of other people, taking care of your family. But when you look at a lot of lyrics and a lot of the or intrinsic motivation of, of music and why, the reason why people pursue music is because of fame, is because of trying to be loved and to, be, and to fit in or stand out. But the real prize is like having the family close to you like, and, and taking care of them and having your friends close to you and being somebody who fundamentally has the ability, maybe economically or in terms of your presence, your physical presence, making their life better. And I, I really, I really admire you in that. And I'm hoping that my future holds some of that. I, I have a ton of questions for you pertaining to your label, your nonprofit, and when it comes to licensing. Sure. <sighs> 
I wanted to. <laughs> I, I just, a little background about me, bro. I'm from Peachtree City, Georgia. I'm a violist. I picked up viola at 12 years old. And I was sold this model that being a classical musician and getting into an orchestra was the way that I was going to be able to make money. And what you said earlier about music not having a blueprint, that is the exact opposite of the brand of classical music. They sell you $50,000 worth of student loans saying, this is the blueprint of how you make a living. And then you graduate. And then you're like, wait a minute, why can't I win an audition? I've heard wait. this story so many times, man. Talk oh to gosh. me. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about it. What have you heard? <laughs> Is it okay to assume that you're not in the classical, you didn't learn like bassoon or viola, did no, you, growing up? I actually only play electric guitar. That's the instrument I play. But yeah, I've, I love it. I've always had a love for classical music. And it was always a dream of mine to be able to do work with an orchestra. But I more looked at it in terms of it would more be a mesh or a mix-up at some point or whatever. And I fell into working with the symphony orchestra just because I was doing this festival out here in the city. And uh, their VP was at the same press conference I was at. And we just happened to start talking. And the more we talked, she said, I'm going to throw something at you. And you let me know if this is interesting to you or off the wall. And she goes, would you ever entertain working with an orchestra? And I said, it's on my bucket list. So when can we start? And so the first piece I did was actually Carnival to Animals. And I wrote a whole new narration to it, updated it for the kids. And it went over so well. And it created, I would say, more diversity than they were used to seeing coming into the concert hall. And so I think they saw the value too that we all know classical music, unfortunately, it's more of a white dominated form of music. And that's not to say anything bad about it, but that's just the reality of it. And so I just think anyways, classical music wants to be more inviting, but it's how do you do that? You know what I mean? And when you go on a deeper social level, and this is why I tell you too, Drew, that it's so dope that early on you got the doors are open to classical for you being a black man in America. Because the reality is a lot of black communities don't have the resources. They're not going to get sheet music put into their hand. They're not going to get a viola put into their hand. I mean, I can tell you the city I'm in, in Baltimore City, there's no music program in, the, in our public in our education system at all. That's why I'm raising money to, to build a, a music school out here right now, literally, because we don't have any music education. And I know how much music's done for me. Y'all know how mu much music's done for y'all. So how do you not have that in the... And the school curriculum at all. It's, it's like art and PE. It's a must. It's a part of it. And so I told him anyway, I said, I love classical. I'm a fan mm -hmm. of classical. And I said, I think other minority communities would love classical. But I said, I'll be real with you. You know how many times I didn't walk past this concert hall? I never felt invited until now. I said, I never felt like mm -hmm. it would be okay for me as a black man to open those doors and walk in here. I said, it don't feel inviting to me. And they understood that. And I said, part of that is I didn't see anybody that looked like me and mm -hmm. to be in and so at all. And that's part of this journey, too, is we want to see people that look familiar to us to know that it's possible. You know what I mean? Yes, you'll have those people that are self-motivated and those are leaders those ones that do stuff that no one else has done. But what about all the other people that maybe don't have that self-motivation? They don't have that drive to be a leader and they're just looking for someone to look to so they can get to their purpose. You got to find people that look familiar to you. And if you play classical and Drew, like you said, they giving you this blueprint. What else you got to go off of? You don't really have a bunch of other, I would say, black classical composers, instrumentalists that you can go. Well, yeah, he did it this way and he made it or he 
Mm-hmm. Press. It's not there. Um, mm-hmm. Joseph They're suppressed. Bolune, Correct. How do you say his last name? Bolune. I've never. I've actually never heard anybody say his last name. <laughs> he's he's just the black Mozart. And and it's often oh. yeah. He's finally his time and times in the spotlight because like, he's super famous during his time, and mm-hmm. no one heard about it yeah. until the past couple of years. Like, hey, who was this guy? He was Not even, even revered then, and like now, now suddenly it's just, oh my gosh! Like he was bigger than like Mozart during his time. But it, it's such a great example. Like what blows my mind about this education. So my backstory is just the kind of opposite. It's rural North Carolina, and, and again, music education <laughs> and education in general. There's a little scant out there. And if you look at every culture in the world, we literally have not found one culture or one society that has existed since the dawn of human history that doesn't have music. It's always there. That's just something that points to how fundamental it is to being human. Think about it. You're trying to survive and not be killed by a saber-toothed tiger. There's an ice age going on. And what did people decide to draw in the caves? Making music, Art. like they're drawings of flutes. And like, it's like hunting, do I eat? And we weren't all just trying to purely survive. There was entertainment. It's part of every ceremony, funerals, weddings, dance. It's everywhere. It's Culture. part of being human. And yet nowadays in the States to not even talk about it and not have it be part of education, it is absurd. And so I'm really glad that you've got your nonprofit Rise With a Purpose, which is going out there and making music happen. That's like the first step. Yeah, we're not messing around. I mean, one, I'm over $10,000 raised. I'm almost at 15000 which is my goal. And I actually mm. partnered up with doTERRA Wellness. And once I reach 15000 they're going to match it. So I'll already be coming out the gate with thirty k to get this school up and running. I've mm. had several meetings with a couple investors and real estate people out here in Baltimore. So they're looking to get me a building that'll be donated. So I won't have to Whoa. pay out any funds to get the building. So Whoa. yeah, this is not a game. I told them, I said... This is a legacy project right now, not just for myself, but for the city of Baltimore. I want this school to be here after I'm gone. And people know that, hey, you don't want to put music education in the school curriculum? Don't worry. The kids will have some place to go forever at this music school. You want to learn how to play drums? Come here. Keyboard. You know what I mean? Guitar. The great thing, too, is the symphony orchestra already has agreed to take part in this music school, providing resources. Some of the people in the orchestra will actually be coming to the school and teaching. So... There's going to be no, Peabody. I would say, anything left open. You want to learn classical? Peabody's there. But like I tell people, Peabody's for jazz and Peabody's for classical. But what about all the other kids? That's what I'm saying. And you got it in. It's yeah. somewhat of an invite program. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to get in there? How does that young black kid or how does that young Latino kid with nothing? They're not going to Peabody. From your, pr- from your program. <laughs> from your pro- Let me tell you something. From your program. Your program will allow them to have the ability to compete with the people that go to the higher level conservatories. Look, you said it before. I'm a black man who plays viola. How many of us are there? And I've only gotten to this point because there were programs like a orchestra. I went to a relatively white school that had orchestra in the middle school. And that gave me the ability to get an instrument rent an instrument. And then because I was passionate about it and I practiced a lot, I was referred to by my orchestra teacher, a white lady, but she saw the passion in me. She knew about the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra having a program called the Talent Development Program, where they took African-American and Latino string players and 
got them to audition for the program. If you got in, you got fully paid for lessons with symphony musicians. And that was the catalyst for my whole development because I was surrounded by Black kids that were incredible, better than anybody else I'd ever met. And these are the same people that are now winning orchestra jobs, soloing with orchestras as melanated people. And I I can see the same path for your school, the Philadelphia Orchestra, bassist, Juilliard professor Joseph Conyers has a project called Project 440 in Philly. There's another project called Play on Philly. I have lots of people who are doing similar things, Wordsmith. So if you want to get connected with some brothers that are building some things, see if we could join forces, man. You let me know. I could put you on. Bruh, I would love to because that's the other thing is I want to definitely pick the brain even more. People that are already doing this as well. Good people that's about it. They understand the cause. You know what I'm saying? And we're those type of people. We understand that in order to push things forward, what society is sometimes you just got to have leaders that are willing to sacrifice. When I'm down for the sacrifice, I don't see anybody else. I've been out here, like I said, since 98. We haven't had a music school since then, before I even got here. So I said, no one else is going to do it. I'm jumping in the fire to do it then. It is what it is. And and to myself, too, I said, I know I can make this happen. I said, I never at any point in time have doubted it. So I'm like, it's just a matter of time. That's what I tell people. It's going to come to fruition. It's just a matter of time. It's one of those things that needs to exist. So you're just going to yes. will it, will it into yes. existence. Oh, I had, man. It is a great point, though. That's something that because classical music is such like an old ingrained institution, it's always late to the party. It's all about we're still just getting over the fact of playing music that's a hundred years old and like finally like not calling that contemporary <laughs> and that's a that's hundred years just, yo, we, we've had a we had a whole two world wars since the last time this was played like <laughs> this is not contemporary but the the thing we've been noticing and it's just glaringly obvious but it's starting to like spark some ahas in the industry is just that the orchestras don't reflect the communities they play in no matter where you go in america or where you go really in the world even if you go over to Malaysian Philharmonic or something like that, like the orchestra is still just white. It's just yeah. white. It's white everywhere. And, it's, <laughs> and, and what does that mean? It's just completely uninviting. It's not enticing. Yeah. It's like, why, what, why do I want to see the white blah, blah, blah orchestra? Because that's what it is instead of just the city. Historically speaking, one of the things that we just have to overcome, and I just love about your collaboration with the BSO as an artistic partner, is that, of course, most of the music we're playing isn't even American, so to speak. It's European. So it's kind of like we just took someone else's culture and just plopped it down in America and just slapped the name of our city. And yet we're just like <laughs> European stuff. And so I can't blame a lot of the audience. Like, well, why are our numbers down? It's because it doesn't feel American. Where's American? It's in jazz. It's in hip hop. It's in our rock music. It's everywhere else. And I'm like, like learn from, you know, take, take what you will from that. But no one should really be shocked. It's expensive, it's white, and it doesn't really match the world around it. It's it's essentially an audio museum at this point. We go in there, don't touch anything, and then leave. Uh, thank you for your $200. But I love what you're doing because you didn't just come in there and do Carnival of the, the Animals. You also got Soldier's Tale coming up, and you've done Ode to Joy. You're coming in there, and you're not just reading what's already there or just part of what existed. It's your own contribution. How is it addressing these older pieces what is it like visiting these older music and putting your own twist on it bringing it up to a date making it yours i think already there's always a built-in pressure i don't feel it 
thankfully, but there's a built-in pressure of this on the outside of being a black man, taking a hold of a classical piece. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to change it? But when I approach it, I try to always try to keep some of the elements of the original piece in there while updating it and making it feel more of today's times. But I also try to focus on diversity and try to put inclusion to all the pieces. So when I redid Carnival of the Animals, inclusion was big in it. Just different animals making you know that, okay, the way this animal said something, I know that could be maybe someone from this race or this race. And so inclusion, making everybody feel like this is how America is. It's diverse. We have more different races in our country than any other country in the world. So that's how it should look. That's how it should sound. Something like Soldier's Tale, that's a big one for me. <clears throat> Actually, probably one of the biggest pieces of just my career as a musician, just because I know for a fact they've never loved the narration for that piece through the years at all. And it's known. And not only am I taking it and redoing it, putting some of the elements that are known, but this is one of the pieces where I'm really redoing it and redoing it and making it a brand new piece besides the title. And I'm also changed even the setting. It's taking place during the 1960s, during the Civil War era, and also during Vietnam. And it centers mm -hmm. around this Black troop coming back from Vietnam, literally pretty much coming back to nothing. Think about that. The other thing I learned from researching this as I've been putting the script together, and I'm still not done, is that I didn't realize how many African-Americans were sent to Vietnam just to die. We outweighed any other race in Vietnam, which blew my mind. I never knew that. More black men went to Vietnam than any other race and more died in Vietnam mm -hmm. than any other race. Mm -hmm. But then think about when you're coming back home, we were dealing with civil rights issues. So it's not you left one war and you're coming back to another war. And so that really hit me. I said, man, that's just just to think about that. You, you think you made it like I survived this war in Vietnam, a war we shouldn't have been fighting. And then I come home and I got this war of race that I have to deal with now. Plus, mm -hmm. when guys were coming back from Vietnam during that time, they weren't all accepted because some mm -hmm. Americans did not approve of the war. So there was mm -hmm. so much that they had to fight. And I'm putting this into Soldier's Tale. And I'm really saying to the crowd, there's so much humanity to think about here. And the original piece is told from a white soldier perspective from a time that none of us know about anymore, honestly. But we all know about the civil mm -hmm. rights era. We all know about Vietnam. It's not too far long going. You're talking about 1960s, 1970s. It's only 2021. That wasn't that far away. We're not talking about the 1800s, 1700s here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's big for me, but also it, it's an opportunity for me as well because I have an acting degree in theater arts and I don't get to act as much anymore. So this piece, I get to play three different characters in it. And so I get to really bring my that acting piece that I love so much to the table along with the music side. But it's all a piece that I'm able to create from scratch. And the BSO has faith in me to do this just because of the prior pieces that I've written, the response that we got. They pretty much just do your thing on this. And I'm like, you sure? Because I'm going to go in on this and I'm going to tackle <laughs> some big issues. So are you sure? So that's one thing when I signed on with them, I, I made sure I said, look, I want everybody to be comfortable here, but I need you to understand what I'm about. I'm an outspoken person. I've been out there in the protest. I was one of the people putting the assemblies together out here in the city. So different people that dealt with police brutality, uh, racial profile, and had a chance to speak, had a chance to talk. So I said, I'm already going to tell you, I'm not going to silence myself just because I'm signing on a dotted line with the BSO. <laughs> so I said, you sure you're good with me coming on? And so, and they have, and they give, they give me so much creative freedom because they have owned up to, we need to be doing more. 
We should be doing more. We're right here in the middle of a black community, yet most of the black community doesn't even come in here. So it goes back to what you said, Trevor. The orchestra doesn't look like your everyday community. It doesn't look like the dude just chilling on the steps. It doesn't look like the kids in the neighborhood. It don't look like that. And so you say to yourself, who is this truly for? But the more you can see yourself up there, me, I'm not playing an instrument, but I'll be up there on stage, whether I'm hosting something, where I'm narrating something, whether I'm doing an acting piece that has orchestral accompaniment, you're still seeing someone up there where you're like, whoa, this is someone from my community that's up on this stage up here. This is possible. And that's what I want them to get from me more than anything I ever write is this is right here. Mm, I, I love that because I've never had to experience that moment just as an incredibly average white dude. Like we're <laughs> everywhere. Like in average white white dudes are all over the place. I can be a CEO. I can just I'm an athlete. Average white dude. <laughs> No, there's no lack of average white dudes uh, across all uh, ranges of accomplishments. <laughs> but to to hear people uh, across all all different communities, just like how important it is to just simply see someone. It doesn't even like matter always, always specifically what they do, but to see someone else who's excelling, who's doing it, to have someone pave that path. That's and it's just great. The time was forever ago, but the second best time is now to go in and you know it's i'm just so happy that you've gone out here and you're doing this and you're you're young you're young <laughs> oh, man, you, thank you I, well i appreciate that years ahead <laughs> I, I feel that too man. i feel it too bro this is why we got no trust you're so anti time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is now and that's literally a sticky note on my, the back of my door because that that sort of idea i think is fundamental to everything we do whether it is in music whether it's in arts whether it's in collaborations plant seeds today so you have soldier's tale coming up with bso wordsmith uh, i'm curious I've become particularly interested in labels and how they work. Could you give like maybe a a basic overview for our audience? Because many of our audience were people who are in conservatory, have just finished conservatory, uh, and aren't really acquainted with the broader music industry. Could you explain just briefly what labels do for artists? Sure. I, I mean, I even backtrack even a little bit more. One of the first things you want to do as an artist is you want to be with the Performing Rights Society, ASCAP, PRL. BMI, CSAC. You can't do any music license. You shouldn't even put music out unless you have that representation, because those are the people that's going to collect your royalties if you have a record on the radio. If you have a music video that plays on TV, you also want to sign it with Sound Exchange. Those are the people that collect all your Internet royalties for you. So starting off knowing that business side, because once you, for instance, say you open a publishing company with ASCAP, what a lot of people don't know is you can use your publishing company as a business. So you can write off anything music related for your first three years through your publishing company, which is what I did before I opened up my label is I just used my publishing company for three years, built my studio that I have in my house because I knew I needed to be able to record when I needed to. I bought different gear, equipment, different things I needed, wrote off travel mm -hmm. expenses for shows, mm -hmm. just different things. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me build my business early on. So when I did start my business, I had some funds already to kick it off. I don't, I would tell, don't get a loan 
That's something I would advise against early on is don't get a loan. You want to try to build as much of your own music income to support your business as possible. But the thing is, having a business gives you power. And this is why I encourage it is that you can apply for grants when you have a business. Okay, you can apply for different programs if you have a business sponsorships or different things like that. You can even apply for infrastructure type grants where they'll help you build a uh, building for your business. We don't have to pay for it. Whoa. These things what? you need as a musician. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But you got to have a business. <laughs> there we go. Think about where we live. We live in America where they yeah. want you to be the entrepreneur. They don't make it yeah, easy. Sure. But no. they want you to be an entrepreneur for a reason because there's so many programs that, again, the average person won't know about. But there's so many programs that when you have a business or you have a nonprofit that open up to you and you go, whoa. That's how this person's working with a million dollars. That's how this person got this big old building. That's how this person is over here in this part. I get it now. You just got to have your own ish. You know what I mean? That's what it is. Mm -hmm. They don't want you always working for other people. You have to have your own stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would tell any musician, so when you get out and you're figuring out what to do, get that Mm -hmm. performer rights society first so you can start building your own situation. Get your own studio, number one. Don't just rely on trying to go into studios where you got to pay money all the time. You need to be able to be in a position where, say, you get some work come in that you can record on the spot because time is of the essence. Trust me, you won't have time to be, oh, man, this is a $10,000 deal. You need it by tomorrow. I won't have enough time to make an appointment at the studio, get in there, write the song. Uh, you won't have time. Uh, and guess yeah. what? They're going to pass you by and go to the next person yeah. like me who's like, I can do that tonight. No mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you want to get your business stuff in place. Make a course, make sure your music's copyrighted before you release it. The thing you want to go for once you have your business in place is you want to get distribution. But you want to get good distribution. You want to get distribution where you're not paying for it. I'm not saying it's bad. In the beginning, you might have to do that. But if you're the person that can hold out and don't feel like you have to release music right away, try to get some good distribution where you can get with someone who is going to give you some promotion with your distribution deal and will also get it onto a bunch of platforms, even bigger, I would say bigger reach than a distro kid and a CD baby and some of the other ones mm-hmm. where they actually have relationships with MTV, BET, Vivo, different things like that. That's the distribution you want. Why you still have your own business. It doesn't necessarily be, have to be you signing to a major label where you have no control. Mm-hmm. I like having some control, if not all control. Yes, to make I agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I want to put mm-hmm. a song out now because there's an issue going on in the world that I feel strong about. I don't want to have to go to my manager or an A&R and go, man, I really want to do this song. We're not putting it out right now. or It's just not the time or the budget's not here for it. Mm-hmm. So you're just sitting mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nah, I want to make an impact right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get shelf. You're just sitting around. I want to be able to put stuff out in real time. This is going on in the world. I want to write a song about that that can impact. I want to put it out next month. Let me get all my assets together, shoot a video for it. You know what I mean? Get everything together. See if I can get some placements. Boom, put it out. So I would say, yeah, have your business together. Have your business Mm -hmm. together. Get that pro society. Mm -hmm. Once you run that for three years, be prepared to open up your business. Because once you open up your business, you can take a loss for three more years. That's a total of six. Okay. Wow. And most of that time you're getting that tax money back, which will help your business flourish. And this is a loophole. Other thing you want to look for, Mm -hmm. you want to open your business in a state 
Okay. And I'm talking about forming your formation of your business, not your where LLC. you're operating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to do it in a state that doesn't have property tax. It will kill you from the jump. So for mm-hmm. example, I live in Maryland. If I decide to form my business in Maryland, I would have been paying property tax every three months. Now they hit you with this and they know you're not even making no money. So oh, just think about man. it. You open your business. You ain't even, you don't even have money coming in yet. And they like three, $350 property tax. And then three months later, $350 property tax. And you're like, how am I supposed to get ahead? Now, if you open up a business in a state with no property tax, which I form my business in Delaware, they don't have taxes in Delaware. Mm. I pay what's called an agent fee, which I pay $150 for my agent, which is basically my representative in Delaware. If anybody tries to sue me, they step in. They're my lawyers. They handle it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Other than that, I pay $300 a year, which is an annual tax just for having a business formed. That's it. So the total was four hundred and fifty dollars, and you can do the math. You either gonna pay four fifty a, a year, <laughs> yeah, four fifty a year, or you are gonna pay three fifty every three months. And again, I don't know what the property taxes for each state. California is probably oh, crazy. Oh, they probably start a business. No. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be smart about that too. Is yeah. where do I want to form my business? You want to do it in a place where they don't have taxes, which is very far in between here in the United States. And these are just small little loopholes, man, that can help get you off to a good start. And that helped me early on in my career. I love that. How did you go about learning all of this? Because this is a lot for your average musician who's just, oh, like, how do I, (laughs) what what compressors do I run my vocal chain through? And then you're like, no, 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 the compressor's okay. (laughs) Here's where you need to register your business in Delaware. How did you go about learning all of this? I've researched it, man, just to be honest. When I decided I wanted to do music for a living, I didn't put music out right away. I literally took the first year and I just learned the business. I said, all right, this is why how I need to register music. This mm. is what I need to sign up with. Just I just needed to know. I didn't want to go into it dumb because I had heard all the horror stories of people with bad contracts. And I would always say, you probably got bad contract because you probably didn't read it or you didn't research the business. And I was right when I got in and I said, the information is right here. They just not going to hand it to you on the platter because they want a dumb artist. And in some way, you don't blame them because it's your fault if you don't gain the knowledge when a major label comes to sign you. If you don't know the business, that's your fault. Just like when you got a test on that Friday, if you didn't study during the week and you failed, that's your fault. Mm -hmm. That's how the music industry carries it. I'm the opposite. So when I meet people and get them knowledge, they'd be like, yo, I've never met no one that freely gives away so much knowledge. And I go, you know why it's not a big deal to me? Because you still got to execute. I didn't give this knowledge to so many people and they don't do anything with it. They don't do anything so about I said, it. don't cost me nothing because you got to do something with it once I give it to you. Mm. So I said, why not give it out there? I want to see other people successful. I don't want to see people going through all the heartache and pains that I went through, all the money I lost. So take what I'm giving you and try to execute as much of it as you can. About Taylor Swift and uh, Kanye, their respective uh, publishing debacles, uh, you know, creating all of this music that is vastly popular and nobody's immune. Nobody's immune to this. No. Man. No, not at all. I mean, you saw with Taylor Swift catalog, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Justin Bieber manager bought it all up when she was pissed about it. But it's that major label situation. Sure, she had a pretty decent deal early on in her career, but labels know you hungry. You need us. We're the ones that's going to launch your career. You need us. And so, look, even this far down the line, she's she's actually an example of a big time celebrity, one of the best musicians in the world. And she didn't even have control of her own music. No, nope. that's sad, mm. man. That's sad. 
It's a fundamental problem. It's a fundamental (laughs) problem with the industry. I I think the ownership, retaining ownership, especially as an independent artist. In terms of researching this, though, I'm curious, were there any books that you read that were like illuminating to you or any articles or newsletters that you subscribe to that that our listeners could also fall in your footsteps? No, actually, I did a lot of internet searching, man. I'm just keeping okay. it real. Anything I had a question <laughs> on, the internet. I was typing it in. And uh-huh. more than anything, I just try to go to official sites. If I would see information, I would say, okay, is this the official site? It's not on a third-party site. That's the only thing I would make sure you're going to that official site to get the information so you know it's legit. Okay. Thank you. Mm. I'm very curious because you do all of these things. You're running a business. It's actually a business. You're making the art, nonprofits, traveling the world. How do you balance all of that? And also, you've got a family. Like the studying for the test was a great example. I'm sure that that's a real that's a real world example. If you didn't study for the test, how do you balance this all? <laughs> I don't know. My kids say I'm a robot, man. That's what they say I'm a robot, man. But uh, I don't know, man. I've grown up this way of having to adjust all the times and multitask from my dad being in the army that we talked about earlier. So this was just a normal way of living for me. I'm used to doing a million different things. When Believe me, my phone blows up all day from my artists, from different gigs that I'm doing, rehearsals I have coming up, shows coming up. Just I'm always doing business deals all the time. So my phone blows up all the time and I just try to stay grounded, man. That's the main thing is I never want people to ever feel that I've gotten so big that they can't, I'm not reachable anymore. Just for example, it might be someone who I haven't spoken to in maybe a year that might hit me up. Even if I don't get back to them right away, I still apologize and be like, hey, you know, I'm sorry for the delay and getting back to you. I never want anybody to feel that I'm above them. You know what I mean? And I think as entertainers, sometimes we have a tendency to put an entertainer on this pedestal because of your profession. Because I've had my boys who they're like, yo, you get to do this and this is this, this and this and this. And I go, yo, we all are unique in our different crafts. You know what I mean? I'm like, I've seen you grow in your particular craft. You know what I mean? To where you're at now. No, it's not music, but you've had different successes in your field. And I said, that's got to be your perspective, not my perspective of, man, you get to do all this cool stuff. And in your lane, you're doing all this cool stuff too. You're just not looking at it that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I said, Mm -hmm. stop looking at, like I said, the glitz and the glamour all the time. I said, in between that, most of my days, I'm a father, you know what I mean? Yeah. Every day. <laughs> I have kids to raise every day, too, at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you wipe all that stuff away, I'm just an average, regular dude just mm-hmm. trying to work hard, be here for my kids, teach them right. That's above any music or any traveling, mm-hmm. any work I do through my businesses, any day. So mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. is my thing. Stay real, mm-hmm. stay approachable, never get too big. I don't care where people put you. Or even if you realize you're sitting up here, you got to always stay in the middle where people down here can come to you and the people up there can come to you. And, you know, it's balanced there, that gray area. Send the ladder down. And that's why they advocate for all all these presidents. I told recently you have a dog because (laughs) no matter how powerful you are, you might technically be the most powerful person in the world. But you still got to pick up that dog's crap. That's so right. I mean, you still set an example. You know what I mean? You still set an example. And, you know, it's it's I'm having a hard time. Personally, this this therapy wordsmith, I want your advice as a brother who's like farther (laughs) along in the career. I've been getting a lot of requests from schools for me to do like career days and things like that, but for no money. 
and they're coming directly to me. And while I do want to do that, I still have bills to pay. What are some tactics that you employ? First of all, are you even getting those emails or is that going to your your manager, your <laughs> agent? First of all. That's the thing too, what we were talking about is I do all my own business, man. It's rarely, like I said, my brother will step in every now and then mm-hmm. where I feel that I shouldn't speak for myself. But again, when it does with money, you're going to hear from me directly at all okay. times. Okay. But I'm honest up front. And that's what my encouragement to you would be, Drew, is though you're in your heart, you want to do it, be real with people too from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the expectations are there because you'd be surprised how many people will go. I, I get that. I understand that. This is your living and I'll see what I can get for you. Or even too, I tell some people, and of course, I'm at a different stage in my career where I don't mm-hmm. go below a certain limit. I'm like, this is the least I'm willing to do. And I'm telling you, if you pay this price, you're only going to get me. You're not getting my band. You're not getting anything extra. Mm-hmm. This is the like the bare minimum I'm willing to do. Mm-hmm. But um, being honest up front has always worked for me because I've had times where people have reached out earlier in my career be like, hey, can you do this? It doesn't involve any money. And I'll be like, listen, right now, this is my standard fee to come out and do it mm-hmm. and so forth, because this is the travel. I have two kids. This is my living. This is the least amount I'm about to accept. And this might even be $200 I'm talking about here. Yeah. And I've had people come back and be like, you know what? I'll pay you 400 I get that. Because some mm-hmm. people, I think when they approach musicians, especially early on, they forget this is your living. They just go, you need me. Let me put you on here. You want to perform. This is my living too, man. I can't even expand my career if you're not willing to pay me at least a little bit of money. Because the time <laughs> that know? I'm doing to spend to serve you could be used to serve my career. And to help maybe affect on the road. So it's like, it's, it's the tough balance, man. And it's so draining. Like my, my girlfriend be like, (laughs) she'd be like, why are you always so tired? Cause every day I feel like I say no and I'm letting people down, but I also have to make sure I don't let myself down first. So I appreciate your perspective. You're doing right, Drew, man. And I think your perspective is right too. It's the type of people we are, you're going to feel that little tinge of, man, I feel like I'm letting somebody down, but you don't want to let your family down, bro. That's first mm. and foremost. You know what mm. I mean? And mm. Like you said, you don't want to let yourself down because you want to have some further opportunities in the future. You don't be putting yourself in a hole. You're like, I done did 10 talks and made no money. And no I can't money. even do no talks no more. <laughs> I, had to here. I had to travel here. I burnt this money up here. I'm, I'm in debt just going yeah. to these 10 talks, you know? Yeah, man. How do you go about setting up a team? Because I know Drew and I are in that position. We're approaching 30. Some of us are approaching it a little faster than others. <laughs> um, but we're turning the point. It's okay. We've, we've been grinding away. We're putting in the hard work. We know that's the rest of our life. But it's time to feel comfortable letting go a little bit of the reins. How was that process like first realizing, wait a minute, I need help. Like, why am I trying to do this all alone? I can help other people and bring them along this journey. And then how do you, how do you find those people? What's that process like? It's hard, man. It's hard. Okay. I mean, I'll keep it real with you. Like when I first started touring, I probably fired t- over 20 people and I'm Whoa. not proud of saying this at all Whoa. to this day. Mm. They were all justified uh, just because when I, when you hire people and they have to, I would say, I'm trying to say this the right way. Is a difference between doing music as a hobby and being a professional musician. And people learn it the hard way when they enter into professional situations. So when I hire musicians, a lot of times they don't expect there's a schedule. 
You got to rehearse. You got to know the music to a T. You got to go have to have a passport. You got to go get these vaccinations. You're going to go on tour. And guess what? We're going to be performing every night. We're going to be hanging out every night. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, but the days are long. You're up at 6 a.m. in the morning and your days don't end at like 10 at night. And then whatever you decide to do at that night after that, just know you got to be back up at 6 a.m. the next day <laughs> to do the same exact thing you did the day before. And so I've seen it break musicians, man, where they I've literally had musicians that have quit themselves in the middle of a tour. And I've been like, hey, that's fine, but you're going to finish this tour. You have no choice. So but also seeing musicians go, I felt better after I came to you and I was honest and I said to you, I can't handle this because I said you realize that burden came off your shoulders that this may not particularly be for you, the professional level of musician. You might just be mm -hmm. the type of musician that every once in a while you want to pick up that guitar. Every once in a while you want to sing. That's fine. But you come into this realm, this professional level, every night you got to be perfect. Every night you got to be on your game. Every night it's a new audience. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen it break people that's that pressure or just get tired after like the first week of tour. I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Let's mm -hmm. go. <laughs> I got to get up here and say a million words every night. I got to bring the same energy every night. You know what I mean? So I need y'all to do the same thing. And I'm telling the stories that it took me so long to find the right people. So I think you got to continue along that journey. Don't get frustrated because you'll probably find more people that aren't for you that are for you. Mm -hmm. And when you find that good person, what I have learned to do is knowing me that good person knows other good people. And that's how I've got mm -hmm. them, how I built my band was I, once I got my right drummer in place, I've had the same drummer now for almost five years. Mm -hmm. Wow. The keyboardist that I brought on is an extension of him. One of his good friends has the same work ethic. It's about his music. And so I slowly built. And then the DJ I have, great work ethic. And I met him through a friend that had good work ethic. So I pay attention to how does this guy operate? So if you turn me on to someone else, I already know that you're not turning me on to him and he's a slouch. You're turning me on to him because he's representing you and you know how I get down because I walk away from it in a heartbeat if I see someone who have the work ethic that's needed for a professional musician. So don't get frustrated because again you're gonna you're gonna find more that are not gonna be down for you man but okay. keep going through that roller decks till you get the right ones the energy we got the strength in our faith saw what you need i'm reading your face saw when you quit i'm here to embrace raise up and sharpen that pace i'ma be that rock the rock for your case all love to each and every race i'ma kill that doubt and give you good grace Your brother reached out to us. <laughs> keep Smith him on the team. Out. Keep him on the team. Keep, keep yeah. him on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Faking fam. I hope Wordsmith is really dropping so many bombs. But also, like, if, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, you'll notice that he says a lot of the similar things that we talk about, like continuing to educate yourself, taking responsibility for your own actions comes, and discipline equals freedom. You know what I mean? A lot of these things are they're multi they're multi-dimensional in their efficacy. And I'm so happy to hear from you once again, Wordsmith. Man, thank you. Thank you. And I feel the same way, man. That's why I wanted to come on the show because there's a lot of podcasts out here, but you guys subject matter, how you view the world, your perspective, being musicians as well. 
I said, man, these are my type of guys, man. So I can connect. <laughs> I'm serious. You know what I mean? I'm like, these are my type of guys and I want to connect with good people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just had a feeling besides just doing an interview, I said, these are probably dudes that I'm sure we'll be talking past the interview. We'll still be connecting yeah. past the interview. Mm-hmm. Did you mm-hmm. have any questions for us? Yeah, please hit us <laughs> yes, up, I man. Do. I definitely do. My first question is, what brought you two together to do this podcast? Did you see, was it an urgent need or a void? that brought it together? Or was it just you guys always wanted to do a podcast together? It's kind of funny. We didn't really interact that much at school. So we were both in graduate school, but one year apart, which meant we only overlapped for one, one year. And I mean, of course, I always heard of Drew. I knew him. And when he was first starting out on YouTube, I was in just one of the early videos. on like, You how were in a couple of my Drew. early videos, both of which are probably the best. You're in like the most popular <laughs> video on my channel. <laughs> Which is funny because I, I have such like a horrible non-existent social media presence. But, and we didn't really know each other. But when the one thing that really drove us together, we had a couple of mutual friends who've since been on the podcast, a good friend of ours, John Hong, is that we found somewhat of the tribe of classical musicians who were really interested in everything else. Like, how do we go out here? What is the hustle? What is going on in the world beyond music? Learning things that might that at the time didn't seem relevant to a music career. <laughs> Various theories. How does the universe work? Literally. And so we tried to do this in New York, but thanks to the schedules of the trains, it didn't quite work out. We both came out to LA around the same time. And, we're, and you know, we're starting up the, the LA grind. And I wasn't super happy. I had had a great life in New York and I had ripped it up to go, um, you know, sit in the land of sunshine and avocados. And yet I was, I was just not happy. I'm like, what's going wrong? And how you opened up Wordsmith uh, is talking about acts of service, helping others, bringing others along. I just think we realized that for both of us, that's really the fuel of what drives us. Anytime I try to do something that's like selfish or I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this because it, it's going to propel me to fame or some other thing, which will never happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to release this track because it's good for other people. I'm going to have this conversation because it might be valuable for others. So I just think we realized we were both at a similar place in the journey and it was time to to make it public. These discussions that we were all having on our own, this is a new era. It's okay to do music and learn about how to run a business. It's okay to have a nonprofit and travel the world and have a family and do all of these things and talk about it. It's not just about hitting only hitting the right notes in the practice room. Let's just have a little bit of a life. So for me, that's just, that's just why it happened. We can have conversations with really interesting people such as yourself who are out there doing awesome things and great things that in that little classical bubble or in everyone else's little silos, they might not hear about. Definitely, definitely. Well said, Drew. well said, Trevor. Well said, man. Drew, what about your side? And I want to know a little bit about what got you kickstarted on your social media because you'd be rocking on that IG and everything. Oh, appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. So both questions. What got you started with the podcast? And also what, what value do you see with social media? And what is the best angle you feel works for your social media presence? I love that. Okay. Discovered podcast in 2010 when I was bored. I wasn't studying barely going to class was, and even class, I was conscious, maybe 35% of the time. So 
it's just it was it was a very interesting time in my life. But I've always been enamored by learning like what Trevor was talking about, learning about how the world works, the nature of reality, the re- nature of the economy. I just was all I was the kind of kid that was like who probably drove my mom crazy. Always like, <laughs> what's that? How does that work? Why? 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 Like, Magic. I was that Next kid. Question. I was that really. If I could have, if I could make money asking questions, that probably would be a really good thing to do. And so podcasting fell in my lap as an idea, as a practice. It wasn't until Trevor really came to me seriously because we had flirted with the idea in New York. Couldn't really come up with an idea that was like original enough. Classical music, such a small silo. We're just like, why are we going to waste all this time to try to talk about Tchaikovsky? Uh, So it then grew when I moved to LA because Trevor was like, bro, I'll edit it. Let's just, let's just get in here and, and do something and build something, something meaningful, something that can help other people. And I was like, how could I say no to that face? <laughs> so, <laughs> that was so, puppy eyes. Real puppy you eyes. gave me the Shiloh eyes, man. I was like, okay, before <laughs> he even had Shiloh. So I was like, oh. And then so what, what began was like this podcast became a part of my life where I'm vulnerable in a way that I refuse to be anywhere else. I admit to my faults. I admit to my shortcomings, my fears, all on here to a, to a higher degree, but I would rather it be said in my own words and in my own voice from my own self instead of words on a page. Go, from social media and, 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 and that of my life, it was born from this idea of, you know, Wordsmith, you even said it, you, were, you, you said like, man, you know, I'm not going to be the best i'm not gonna be the most famous violist ever like name a famous violist right so i i had no predispositions about that but i i wanted to at least in the classical music realm to be respected and to be somebody that people wanted to play with something somebody that people wanted to connect with because for the majority of my time in this space, I've always felt like I didn't belong, like my presence wasn't welcome, and that I didn't have anything valuable to say. And so it was kind of a, a defiance of that by sharing my story very boldly as often as I could, which was every day for a very long time. So I actually started getting paid for uh, my services and my time. And so now... My goal is with social media is to continue to just really live as an example of what really happens when you put effort and and time and bet on yourself over a long period of time and see the sort of cool things that can happen in your life as a black person. Because here's the deal. There aren't many brothers out here doing this thing. And I feel like doing it while being black and showing people what that we are capable of elegance, grace and virtuosity, if I could be an example of that, my life will have mattered. So that's what social media has ultimately meant to me. Man, that's such a great answer right there, Drew. And I'm just, again, I'm 
I admire both you guys' perspective. You guys definitely have purpose. And that's that's something that's beautiful because there's some people that they're still searching for purpose in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you should ever stop searching for your purpose. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of times there's several different paths, you know what I mean, that you can take. But I just love you guys' perspective. I love why you guys came together to do this. It wasn't on any selfish tip. It's more about helping other people. You know, yeah, we man. echo the same things, man. And it just, I know my heart feels fulfilled. I'm not going to lie, man. Just <laughs> hearing you guys' story, being on the show, talking to you guys, and especially during this COVID time where I don't hang around pretty much nobody, man, unless I'm with my immediate circle of musicians when I'm doing something music related. It's good to meet other people. You know what I mean? I'm sure people listen to the podcast or understand what I'm saying. It's good to meet other people that just seeing their face on a Zoom and hearing them, you go, yo, I can connect with this person. You know what I mean? I didn't have to shake their hand, dap them up, meet them in person, but I actually feel a connection with these people is if we met physically, I mean, we would kick it. So yeah. I even cherish that, man, even more because of this pandemic we went through where you've had to pretty much almost be to yourself and your immediate family a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank y'all, man. That's thank incredible. y'all. Oh, thank you. We got to get you back, Wordsmith. We got to get you back, man. <laughs> I want to get even more granularly in the future on maybe some of these more business aspects of music. My roommate and one of my best friends, Winston Grant, is also a musician and and a brother and and talks a lot about this business thing because that's what's left out, man, All the time. in our education. That's what's left out. Yeah, I, I tell my son too, my son, my oldest, he struggles with math. And I tell him like a lot of that geometry and algebra, I said, it's not real life. It's not. I said, I can remember going to college and I had my first, it was like a business class. And they were teaching you about bank accounts, savings accounts, IRAs. I said, that's what you should be learning in school because that's what counts. When you get in the real world, that's the stuff you need to know. You're not going to use geometry. When you get in that deposit, you know, I mean, you're not going to use yeah. <laughs> no geometry on a job application. You're not. What's the cotangent of your initial deposit? <laughs> I mean, zero. I don't know. I mean, you need to know how to count money, save money and keep money. You know what I mean? And mm. I remember saying to myself in this business class, I said, why didn't I know this five years ago? Why didn't I learn this? Why am I just learning this my freshman year in college? This is when I'm being offered this to me. In a business class that I had to take for credits. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's so much that needs to be learned. It's just not put out here. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. of it is, yeah, you should go out there and gain the knowledge. You should have that will to be like, I want to learn this. But also the resources should be readily available, especially on the music side. So you can be successful, man. Because that story y'all told me when you get out of school and you're just, you think, oh man, I'm going to get out. I'm going to jump right into this. I'm going to jump right into this. This is going to be popping. We all know the reality is that doesn't happen most of the time. And it go, you go, mm. where do I go? And the next thing you can think is I'll just find a job to make money. You know what I mean? For the time being. And that's got to stop, man. There's got to be better preparation for musicians because I'm sure you guys here now, they tell people now, don't, man, don't, don't do a major in music. There's nothing in it. There's nothing in it unless you, oh, unless you want to be able to yeah. teach in it. That's about it. But mm-hmm, as far as mm-hmm. putting out music and becoming someone that's a pr- professional recording artist, that's not going to happen with music as your major. I'll be honest why I didn't choose music as my major. I saw more opportunities in entertainment with theater. 
I was like, I can flip theater more than I can flip music and having that. <laughs> I was like, I can build my own music situation. You feel me? So yeah. it's that knowledge there. I feel if you were prepared more, you know what I mean? If when you're in there learning your profession and your craft, whatever instrument it is, they should be teaching you the business side as well. Just how you start a label. These are the different organizations you need to be registered for. So you have all this registration taking place when you're in college. So when you get Register out, in the class. Thank, thank you. That's yeah, your homework. homework. That's your homework. That's your homework. All right, go home. You need to make sure you you need to pick one of these performer rights societies, and I need you to sign up for one of them by Friday. Your application needs to be turned in. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You would be doing wonders for so many future musicians, man. Wonders. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be doing that stuff in the music school. Don't Let's worry. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, Wordsmith, make Woo. the make the blueprint. Oh, that's Make how I'm bl- doing it. Build yeah. the system. Build the system, yeah. and then people will follow it, man. And then that's when change happens, man. You're right. So I'm, build I'm the hella system. excited. Mm-hmm. 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 You have anything mm-hmm. else you want there for our audience? What, what would you want if we put an army to work mm-hmm. to attack <laughs> something of yours uh, that you want to get a lot of attention behind? Cool. Like, what would you want to promote? Man, I would definitely say, with us all being music guys, we know what music has done for us. It would be the music school, the fundraiser that I'm doing. If anybody that hears this podcast, you could go to risewiththepurpose.com. It's risewiththepurpose.com. Right on the front page, there's information about the music school that we're doing the fundraiser for. And you can literally hit the donate button right there. It'll take you to the fundraiser page. And the reason why I'm saying this is important, and I want you to understand, yes, the actual physical school will be based here in Baltimore City. But I have kids from all around the world that will be tuning in to the live stream of each class. And that's the thing is we're not just doing in-person teaching. Each class will be live streamed. So no matter where you are in the world, you want to learn how to play a certain instrument. You want to learn how to be even an engineer in the studio. You will be able to sign up online to do that. So keep that in mind while you donate. You got a child that wants to play an instrument real bad. Your hands are up. You're the people that needs to donate to this because your child will have an outlet once this school is in place. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Okay. I had any download streams of views on any of my music related stuff. Risewithapurpose.com. And if you could you know, donate to this fundraiser, that would mean the most. Awesome, Wordsmith. It's incredible. Thanks for coming through, Wordsmith. I'm excited to see you where this journey takes you because this career you've done so much already but you're bringing along everyone else and i'm excited to see where it takes us man thank you guys i'm here y'all got any further questions again y'all are musicians if you have any stuff you want to ask outside of us doing the interview man i'm open to answer anything <laughs> for real i mean that thank you man all right appreciate man. you guys man thanks for all you putting into the world man keep doing it yes sir you too and i pray compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our heart. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. Work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. Amen.